I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and we'll be the referee in the war of the words that will no doubt ensue later on between my two guests. Joining me today, an award-winning poet, playwright and author, Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Welcome to you. Thank you. Lovely Hello. to have you here. And the youngest author to be shortlisted for the Booker Prize. She's heard that a lot. It's Daisy Johnson. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, thanks for both being here. So early as well. I mean, my goodness. Very early. The coffee's just kicking in. <laughs> Obviously, people listening to this might be listening in the evening, might be listening in the daytime, but let me tell you, listeners, it's early at the moment. Um, Daisy, the last time we met, we were talking about water. Now, I don't know if you would remember this, but it, you know, we were talking about our fascination with it and also how it plays a part in your book, Everything Under. And Kieran, you might share our intrigue because you and Daisy both live near each other on the river. Exactly. We're sort of separated by a bridge. It's very romantic. <laughs> that is romantic. And did you know each other before you were separated by a bridge? Yeah, we actually lived together for three years. We met on a creative writing course at Oxford University and sort of she hasn't been able to get rid of me <laughs> since. She's <laughs> hung on ever yeah. since. <laughs> and were you, um, excuse the cliche question, drawn to the to the water? Or? Oh, I love water. Yeah. It's definitely my element. Like I love um, wild swimming. We go for swims in the river and oh, wow. anytime we're by the sea, we're sort of running in, shrieking. So definitely our element, I think. Because <laughs> I think that's what we said last time, Daisy, is, is I was saying how I grew up near the sea mm. and I, whenever I'm near it whether that's back home or anywhere in the country anywhere in the world I just want to get I just need to get in it yeah you know um and it's a it, that's a weird yet wonderful draw mm. yeah I think definitely for us as well it makes the city slightly bearable we love Oxford but being near the water and being able to just walk up the river and feeling like you're outside and you're somewhere quite different is really nice yeah, we're, we're just contemplating a move to the country, aren't we? <laughs> sort of like, yeah. <laughs> but you'll only go if one of you, if, if the other goes, yeah, right? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure London listeners are like, the country? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I lived in Hampstead for a while in London, and that has Hampstead Heath, which has the ponds, right? Mm. And that's the sort of closest that you could have got in that area to, to being in the country and people some people thought I was mad for going in the ponds no it's beautiful yeah, there that's it. like if I could live anywhere if I had all the money in the world yeah. I'd live in Hampstead Heath I think we were swimming once in the river um, near where we live and there were um, this whole family using magnets to pull things out of the water so we were swimming and they were pulling out like bikes like a trampoline <laughs> yeah. and they were just looking at us like what are you doing <laughs> 
<laughs> and you were just waving. Yeah, yeah I was swimming, swimming past. Like, <laughs> fine. The first time I went in the pond, the very first time I went with a, a seasoned wild swimmer, a friend of mine, uh, and we were splashing around and then I was sort of getting used to it. And then I sort of went down a bit like and and touched the what was the bottom no. and he said never touch <laughs> the bottom because I was like oh that's not really a oh I don't know what that is and he yeah. afterwards told me you know probably what it was and I thought right next yeah. time never going to touch the bottom just your always in and out. keep your feet yeah. Exactly, yeah but I love it it's just, just such a sense of uh, freedom in that yeah definitely and, and, it, and it clears the old mind doesn't it probably good for writing I would think yeah I think it's really important mm. like this summer was the first time we properly went swimming and I realised how much I missed it um, and I think it's going to become definitely part of my, my routine now mm. I think it's yeah. very important and also I think once you get into something like that it becomes less of a faff. You just you just go and do it. it yeah. You yeah. get so used to doing it. Yeah, the exactly. thought of it's worse than, and then you're in and you're like, oh, it's actually really nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it didn't actually take that long. Yeah, yeah. warmed by pollution. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so this, you met on the creative writing course um, and have since sort of carved your own paths in writing. But do you still use each other as sounding boards for that, for, for your writing? Yeah. Yeah, so, so much. Yeah, really, really important. I think we both talk a lot about how important having um, that group of writers around you is and how it's not an isolated um, art anymore. I think people do mm. share their work and do talk about it all the time. And I think that's been vital for us and a lot of other people who are on the course with us as well. We've just got back from France um, and we sort of, at the end of the week, we were we were all writing. Daisy wrote something mad, like 50,000 words. And then Kieran finished a book. <laughs> and then we all just lay on the floor. <laughs> With a lot of wine. Yeah. Um, but we all at the end sort of read out what we'd been working on. And, and it's, it is true that it's really nice to feel that it's a collaborative process mm. and that you're not sort of in a garret, like mm. struggling for your art. It's actually like a really um, involving, warm way to work. Yeah. And we, we do like work together most weeks. Oh, that's a few days a week. That's amazing. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if every writer would have that, you know, has that other that other person that they can trust. Yeah. I think it's to trust, do that. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, an, and obviously, Dave's an amazing writer. So anything she says, I take on board. It's not like I'm like, yeah, but I do like your writing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not I don't agree with you. Exactly. Yeah. And you find someone who can say something really mean to you, like, yeah. this is really bad. And, and you would take it and you would believe yeah. them. And I think it's hard to find that person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I suppose it is because of, it, there's a certain level, isn't there, of of, of friendship that uh, that can allow you to mm. say that. Yeah, and then everyone else is just going to be like, no, I mean, you know, it's no, I like it was yeah. good, you know. <laughs> you just want someone to come and go, hey, come yeah. on. <laughs> My poor um, husband just started writing, and I think he was a bit shocked the first time we gave him feedback. Oh, oh dear! Yeah. Oh, he went straight into the lions' yeah. den. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good for because he's just going to help him. Just mm. going to help him shape it a bit, and you know, it's it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So good for him, I say. <laughs> good for him. Um, and Kieran, the Deathless Girls has just come out. This is a YA novel that you've just yeah. published, and this is a revisioning of a classic which we probably all know. Tell us about. So it is the origin story of the Brides of Dracula from Dracula by Bram Stoker, and it's part of a series called Bellatrix um, mm. from Hachette, and and it was my first ever commission, which I was kind of terrified by because <laughs> I don't work to commission. Like I, I had no idea what that would feel like, what that would look like. But the editor Helen Thomas gave us all such freedom. So Kit Duval did um, a revisioning of Moby Dick. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's like a V camper van instead of a ship and <laughs> it's really mad it's brilliant and um and I 
really wanted to do something that would sort of play to my strengths and what I enjoy doing in my middle grade writing, um, which is something very lush, like lots of character building, lots of world building. But I also wanted to go a lot darker because that's Mm. something that YA allows you to do. So Dracula felt like the obvious choice. And the Brides of Dracula, Mm. as they're called, they sort of, when you read about them or see them on in films, they sort of slink on and slink off and they don't do anything. (laughs) So I wanted to sort of delve into their backstory and think what where did they come from why are they the way they are so and a word for for bellatrix of of people that don't know this is a it's not so much an imprint but it's just a collection of of commissions as you say and what's the what's it targeting what audience is it targeting so it's targeting primarily obviously teenagers um but they really are they sort of stretch uh, that anyone could read them sort of over the age of 14, I'd say, because they do contain some quite dark themes. But they're trying to sort of give back voices to those characters in um, literature that might have been marginalised. Mm. Um, so we had to pick a male-authored classic and and then we could we could tell it however we wanted. We could pick a character like I've done or you could reimagine the whole thing like Kit Duval did. Um, and we've really been given a lot of freedom within the brief, but the aim is to sort of latch onto that retelling trend a bit but but come at it from a different way by taking marginalised characters and just sort of um, completely injecting new life into them. Mm-hmm. And Daisy, you know a thing or two about reimagining a story, <laughs> don't you? Because obviously everything under is a reimagining of another classic. Yeah. And I can't believe there's many people listening that don't know about this book at least uh, <laughs> or haven't read it, but tell us uh, about everything under which was published about a year, a year and a bit ago yeah, now? Yeah, probably a bit over a year now. Yeah, yeah that's mad. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a retelling of The Oedipus Myth, um, mm. which I didn't say at the beginning, but I think I will say now because every newspaper review <laughs> immediately was like, this is a retelling of the Smith. You were so angry. <laughs> I was very angry. <laughs> um, and it's set on the river, um, it's kind of like the river, but an imagining of the river near where we live. Um, and is doing that thing that Kieran was talking about where it takes... Um, takes characters and looks them in a different angle, um, looks at characters who maybe are underrepresented in the myth. Um, uh, it's about uh, family and language um, and it's about characters living on the river and there's something in the river. Um, mm. I knew when I started I wanted there to be a monster um, and there is a monster living in the river, um, we think, yeah. Is it harder, do you think, or maybe maybe you don't know necessarily, to reimagine an already existing story because you probably have to do so much reading of that to get it mm. and then put your own spin on it. So do you think there's actually, it's it's a bigger challenge to do something like that? Truthfully, when I started, I thought it was going to be easier because I was like, okay, well, now I've got a plot um, and I can, you know, I don't have to come up with a plot. <laughs> um, <laughs> got to tick that off. Yeah. Done that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really difficult. <laughs> um, you know, as a short story writer, I was quite scared by this idea of a novel. Um, but I think a thing that a lot of, a lot of retellings or re um what was the word you used? Re- reimaginings. Reimaginings, yeah, which is a really nice word, are doing is taking stories which are kind of in our consciousness. Mm. Um, you know, I'd known about the Oedipus myth since um I was at school. I kind of studied it in drama and then um, you know, read some Freud um when I was at university. So I felt like the myth was inside me and I didn't have to return to the writing as much. I wanted to kind of take that or that idea of an oral tradition which is passed down and passed down yeah. and, and, you know, changes in our imaginings um, and becomes something different and look at it in that way. Um, I think that's what's so exciting about the like, enormous amount of retellings uh, around at the moment uh, that is that they are taking these things which are in our consciousness anyway. You know, everybody knows the story of Dracula, even if they've never read the book. Mm. They will have seen the Gary Oldman film or, you know, um, and I think that's really exciting. How many times have you read slash reread Dracula 
either for your own pleasure or for this book? Three times. Three times, okay. <laughs> and, and, and that's not very many. And, and I think part of it was I didn't want to get too enthralled to it, mm. partly because I knew I wasn't, I wasn't retelling, I wasn't using its structure. I was taking two of the characters and imagining them before this world existed. So it was it was more my research came at. So my two main characters, Kizzy and Lil, are travellers. They're members of the traveller community um, because Bram Stoker obviously based Dracula on Vlad the Impaler, um, a sort of infamous prince. And he had a lot of traveller slaves. So this was sort of my link upon which the whole story hinged. So I was more concerned with um, grounding my world. It, all my worlds have some sort of element of magic, but it also had quite a lot of historical fact beneath it and then I love Dracula but I do find it overly long and, <laughs> um, and and I think that's okay like I have a healthy respect for it but I didn't I wasn't handling it like bone china like it felt it felt like something I could break and remake how I wanted yeah yeah, that's good. Hmm. No, you don't because you make the point there. Oh, if I, if I didn't want to sort of overread it to get so, because then it becomes like you know when we studied English, yeah. anyone who studied English would would dissect every bloody sentence and word. You're like you don't want to be doing that. Do you? you just want no. to have the the basis of the story and then take it hmm. to your readership to 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 what you want to create? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Dracula itself is an amalgam of you know, mm. the vampire and Carmilla and, you know, it wasn't the first vampire story and he was taking all these myths and sort of forming them into what he wanted to tell and so I sort of felt okay to follow in his footsteps and do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think we put some of these, um, I guess, especially male author texts on pedestals and there is something quite deliciously taboo about destroying it and rebuilding <laughs> it in a different shape and being like, actually, it's okay to think they were very well written, but to say there are, there are issues with them and we want to look at them in a different way. Mm. And not only have you been working on new books, you've both been judging prizes as mm. well. Um, Daisy, you're judging, or one of the judges for the National Short Story Award, and Kieran, you're judging the Young Writers Award. So tell us about these, because um, I read up before I came here and I'd I'd heard of both of them, but... You've got some fantastic fellow judges as well, haven't you? Daisy, tell us about the National Short Story Award for those that don't know it. Yeah, so it's the BBC Short Story Award, I think. it's um, And uh, yeah, it's been amazing. It was kind of one of those things that when I was, um, you know, in my kind of early 20s and was like, I really want to get into writing, mm. I particularly want to write stories, I would read the stories that were um, shortlisted and I would listen to them on the radio and I would think that's what I want to do. You know, that's what I'm aiming for. Um, and we read a lot of stories. I think we read 60 stories in the end um, and then got together um, some really other amazing writers who are um, judging it and kind of got together and um, sometimes spoke very politely to each other, sometimes yelled at the <laughs> across the table at each other. Um, and I think we were all looking for something that really moved us. Um, and the stories are so different. They're all by women, um, but they're all coming from such different angles, and, which I think is really exciting. This is the shortlist, is it? Yeah, this yeah, is the shortlist. The shortlist are all by women, yeah. yeah. Um, and when are you when are you deciding? I mean, when do we know about the winner? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you when we're deciding, but oh, okay. um, the winner will be announced at the. I um, mean, it's the same as Kieran's winner. Um, at the um, there's a big event, which is the is it first the first? October. Yeah, the first of October. Right. Okay. Um, and it'll be on front row. The winner will be announced. Yes, of course. And and this is a in conjunction with Radio Four. Of course, this mm. is where many of us have heard of it. Um, how does it feel being on the other side of a prize? Yeah, really strange um, and, you know, quite terrifying. And this is, I think, the second prize I've judged and you begin to realise what it's like having someone read your work that way. <laughs> and really talk about it. Yeah. yeah, and it also makes you want to be really careful. You know, you want to read them very thoroughly and really think about them because you know what it's like 
to send something that you've slaved over and wept over um, and, ha- you know, have six people in a room um, read it intensely. So I think, yeah, it's given me an idea of, of what it means on both sides and trying to be careful, yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, the first thing you published was a short story collection, mm. Fen. Um, and is that something you want to go back to as well as writing novels? Yeah, I'll always write short stories. Yeah. I think they're kind of my first love and um, I, I also find it such a breath of fresh air to be working in a novel um, and then to turn to the short story form, which, yeah. you know, comes in a different way. And I think, um, I don't know if Kieran finds this with poetry, but is a different part of the brain. I mm. wonder if my brain is like split into like the novel part and the short story part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's quite a relief to then turn back to that form that, um, you know, is the thing I did on my creative writing degree and um, is kind of where I've come from, I think. Mm. And Kieran, tell us about the award that, that you're judging. And I assume from the title, this is for younger writers. Yes. So it's age, open to ages 11 to 18. And we had an incredible um, number of entries, I think a record number of entries this year. And it's really exciting because I wasn't aware of the Young Writers Award, I don't think, when I would have been eligible to enter, though it has been going. Um, And so they're obviously doing something right in reaching um, a wider sort of a diverse audience. And they really were diverse entries. They covered everything from climate change to to dementia to um, we had some brilliantly surreal stories, which I really enjoyed. And not all of them went right up to the word limit, which I always think is a real sign of confidence when Mm. you know exactly how many words Mm. um, you want to say something in especially in writers so young I think that's incredible Um, so I was I was actually really impressed with the sophistication um, of the entries and also a little worried (laughs) um, (laughs) because some of them were they're you know obviously children today they're very engaged with the world around them um, in wonderful ways but I think that brings with it its own pressure and I think some of that pressure was certainly present in these um, short stories you felt the worry and the the noticing of the world um, in a way that I don't think I was particularly aware of of the global picture like maybe of the more um, sort of intimate picture but not the global one so that was interesting as well to be aware of and kind of maybe want to buck up my ideas as an adult and do a bit better (laughs) Yeah, well, that's good, though, isn't it? That's oh, amazing that, that from reading that from a younger generation can can make you think. Right, I need to I need to get involved a bit more, you know, from from where I am. Definitely. And do you know? Um, if I don't know if you're allowed to tell me this, do you know the ages of the writers you're reading? Or is I it... do, but I don't think I'm. Oh, we aren't allowed to know them during when you're when reading. we're reading. We do now because we've judged and we've picked our winner. Um, so we do know the the gender and the age. But you're reading. Completely blind in that respect. Completely blind. So, you know, you could be reading something from an 11-year-old next to something from an 18-year-old, which is quite exciting. Really exciting, isn't it? I think that's amazing. Um, And Daisy, you're uh, turning back to your writing. Um, You're quite open occasionally on social media about having a an on-off relationship with your second novel. And I <laughs> yeah. just wondered what uh, stage of the relationship you're at at the moment. Yeah, we're getting on quite well at the moment. Are you? Oh, that's yeah, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> we not... went through some hard times. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, uh, I mean, not that we're going to find out anything about it, but how are you finding it? Because uh, we mentioned short stories earlier and how, you know, you like to sort of break from that. Mm. Um, and it's a different part of the brain, but, but a novel is such a huge undertaking for anyone and a, and a second novel after the success of a pretty massive first novel must mm. must feel the weight of that a little bit. Yeah, I did. But um, I think thankfully for me, I'd 
I was already thinking about this novel before all of the very big ah, things happened okay. with everything under. Okay. Um, you know, before we did that very drunken podcast where I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> what, the Book of, the book of Rice yeah. podcast? Where, where oh, have another glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What am I doing here? <laughs> uh, um, so it was already in my mind and I, I think I've, or, so this it's a horror novel um, and I have always known that's what I wanted to write. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, it's my second novel, but it's my third book. And I think a lot of the pressure of, you know, they talk about the second book syndrome. I think everything under took a lot of that. Um, there was a lot of crying in everything under. And there was some crying with this book. Um, but I think I knew that I could do it, which was really nice. And I also knew that my process, which I think is a ridiculous process of enormous amounts of deletion, was was the way it was supposed to be. Whereas with everything under every single time I deleted something, I was like, why am I doing this? This is wrong. I need to be doing it a different way. No one else does it this way. Um, so that was quite um, freeing mm. just to think this might um, this might seem very frightening, but I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good because yeah. there's a lot, a lot of times I talk to an author who's, you know, on the second, the dreaded second novel, you know, and they're just they're just banging their head against the table and there's paper scattered everywhere and that, you know, but that's actually quite a nice thing to hear, the yeah. approach to it. I mean, I haven't always felt this way and I do think something happens. I think it's a little bit like childbirth where you have to forget what the process was like, otherwise oh, you would never, you'd do, never it do it again. again. <laughs> yeah, that's like, a... It was really easy. I had a really good time. And I... Hey, it's published, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. <laughs> I think okay. my partner would not say that. I don't think <laughs> Kieran would necessarily say that was what I was like like that. <laughs> I do think that one of the key things about second novels is that you have to at least have an idea for it before your first one comes out because mm. then you're just in it and then if something massive happens like the Booker Prize you're just so caught up in that and and it's so hard to think about writing as a pure yeah. and an enjoyable pursuit because you're already wrapped up with the end product of something else. Yeah. So I, my first novel um, for children, I actually finished my second novel before that ca even came out. And that was really helpful because then I just had one in the bag like, and I could just enjoy that publication journey. Yeah. So now whenever anyone gets a book deal, I'm like... Start writing as I Which is great advice. It's, it's advice that um, Kit Duvall, the author, um, said on numerous occasions, mm. you know, is, is one of her top tips because she, I think she had her second, like the, the second novel in draft form before she published My Name is Leon and she right. said the same thing, you know, and that book very much took off mm. and she was like, it's okay because I didn't have to just sit down at a blank page. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is really great advice, I think. Mm. And from, Kieran, from going out, we talked about the amazing um, young writers that you've been reading for the competition, for the for the award, but in terms of going out and meeting your audiences, you know, and, and the engagement there, what what do you see when you're out doing publication events with art, with sort of young people who read your books? I just love doing events for kids I mean they're incredibly challenging you really don't know what they're going to come out with especially mm. in the the question portion and even when you're sort of doing your well-rehearsed spiel and because I do a presentation with lots of pictures and lots of audience engagement and every so often you'll just have someone put up their hand and either ask you to, if they can go to the loo or or say <laughs> um or sort of be like oh I didn't like this one so much can you talk about the other one <laughs> or, you know? Brilliant. um so it, it is really exciting and it's and it's really nice I think with kids who are growing up with your books and you know my youngest writers my 
sort of youngest readers when Girl of Ink and Stars first came out, they'll now be old enough mm-hmm. to read um, The Deathless yeah, Girls, which, and I love that idea of, of sort of growing with my audience. Yeah. And I just love writing for children. I'll always, like Daisy, will always write short stories. I'll always write for children because I've got my first adult book coming out next year, but I'll always come back yeah, to yeah, writing yeah, yeah. for kids. Oh, so there's an adult book on the way, is there? There is. Mm-hmm. The Mercies with Picador. So right. <laughs> I'm very excited. Yeah. Fantastic. I've sort of been following Daisy's <laughs> sort of advice on staying sane in the adult market. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good book. <laughs> we look forward to hearing more about that then. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, right, so you're here partly for the talking, as we just have, about your books and about these brilliant writing awards, but also to do the book off. And this is where each of you gets three minutes on the clock to tell us about a book you absolutely love and you think everyone should read and why. Uh, and I always say, this isn't your favourite book. We never, I would never ask anyone to pick a favourite book because if someone asked me, I'd just want to just slap them around the face. You know, like, I can't, you can't, you can't do that. And it would change daily, wouldn't it? But I do think there's something in talking about a book that's done, that's that's meant something to you, that's done something to you that you want to share with everyone and, and hope that they would get the same thing. Um, you don't have to use your three minutes. You can, you can take less time. But as soon as we hit the three minute mark, I'm either going to be honking you out or ringing you out okay um so we need to decide who goes first or second and we also need to decide who's going to be honked and who is going to be oh, wrong gonna do... are we going to do uh we're going to do paper scissors I was no, do yeah, rock, rock paper scissors, scissors. She just yeah, okay. pointed at me <laughs> <laughs> no i think rock paper scissors is a good way okay and we're going to do it on three, on three. yeah okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, oh. i covered you yeah i know so you go first no, I think Daisy gets to pick. I get to pick. Oh, oh yeah. No. Paper covers rock. Daisy gets to pick. Are you going first or second? To... Now everyone knows that, that Caramel Target can't do rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Other skills. Um, I'm going second. Sorry, right, Kieran. which means, Kieran, you get to choose whether you'd like to be rung or honked out. Always honked. Always honked. It's funny, it's what everyone says on this podcast. Really? Yeah, if ever given the choice. I don't, I don't know many people Company. who cho- chose the bell first. You know. um, all right, I'm going to just get three minutes on the clock 
for you. Before we start, could you tell us the book that you've brought for the book off, Kieran? Certainly. I've brought Leonora Carrington's The Hearing Trumpet. Right. Okay, there's three minutes on the clock now, and it's over to you to tell us about The Hearing Trumpet. So, Leonore Carrington was actually best known as a surreal artist. She was married to Max, or she went out with Max Ernst for a long period and sort of got very involved with the surrealist movement. Um, And she also wrote a few short stories, and this is actually her longest work, and I'm showing it to you now, and it is very tiny. It's 144 pages, and I'm a great fan of short novels anyway. And when I found out that my favourite, one of my favourite artists had written a surrealist, magical realist adventure novel with a 92-year-old protagonist, I was as excited as you probably are now. Um, So this follows um, 92 old Marion Leatherby, who is gifted by her psychic best friend Carmela, an ornate hearing trumpet. And this is a, comes at a very key point in Marion's life. She's very old. She's quite decrepit. Her family decri- describes her as a decomposing pile of flesh. And she's sort of invisible and inaudible. And she's also locked in this world where she can't really hear or see much around her. So she's very isolated. And this hearing trumpet opens up the world for her. Except the first thing that she hears through it is that she is going to be put into an old people's home. And she's transported to this old people's home which begins her friend Carmela sort of trying to come up with different ways of rescuing her, including helicopters and (laughs) sort of skydives and all these ornate ways of trying to rescue her. Um, But Leonora, she goes into this this nursing home and it's a very strange place and this is where the painterly aspect of Carrington's writing really comes through Um, it's sort of full of igloos and um, twisted palaces and the place where um, Marion lives it's like a lighthouse and it's overrun by this strange um, order of nuns who follow the teaching of of someone called the abbess and Marion is gifted a book that tells the origin story of the abbess that involves the Knights Templar, the um, Holy Grail, some poisoned brownies and essentially launches into an occult Alice in Wonderland adventure where this 92-year-old woman is charging around this surreal landscape trying to save the world and literally that's when climate change comes in (laughs) and that's why I picked this um, I think it's especially prescient because it sounds mad it is it's nuts but it's also incredibly tender it's incredibly unusual to have a protagonist of this age and for them to be treated as a sensible capable person um able to have agency over their own decisions and and to impact the world in a positive way and then the world turns into this place of snow and ice and it becomes this sort of morality tale on human humanity's impact on its environment and it's just incredibly beautifully written incredibly incredibly funny, like laugh out loud funny. There are some brilliant bits of wisdom on how cats are better than humans, something I agree with. And I just want to thrust it into the hands of everyone. And this is my third copy, which I just bought because it keeps getting lent to people. Whoa, very good. Look at that. Straight in on the wire there, three minutes. I wanted to get honked. That's you, that's what you wanted to do. I would have done it anyway. Oh, that is a, a fabulous pitch and a, a book that I must admit I don't know. Don't know that. Um, we'll return to talk more about that shortly. But you can have a you can have a sip of that lovely tap water now, uh, because it's over to you, Daisy. Uh, what book are you going to put forward for the book off? I am putting forward Frankenstein by Jeanette Winterson. Ah, recently long listed for the Booker Prize. Yes, indeed. Very worthily. 
Uh, right, well, three minutes on the clock for you then can to I tell us... Can I have the a... bell, please? Yes, you can have the bell, yes. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, the honk. I don't, I'm not sure about the honk. I'm kind of quite startled. Oh, well, no, the honk was already taken, so you were defaulted, oh, you were defaulted oh, okay. the bell anyway. But yeah, it's all yours. Um, and it's over to you. Three minutes on the clock to tell us about Frankenstein. Um, so I'm not um, a massive rereader um, because I get very stressed about there being too many books in the world to read. Mm. But this book, I went back almost immediately and reread. Um, and... I think will do again. I think, you know, um, I will read it a third time. And every time I read it, there is something different that is buried under it. Feels a little to me like Russian dolls. Um, you open another one and there's something that you haven't seen inside it. Um, and I'm a big Jeanette Winterson fan and I firmly think this is her best book that she's written. Um, it's my favourite book of the year. Um, it opens in um, with Mary Shelley um, and she is on... Um, Late Geneva, um, with Byron um, and Percy um, and Claire. Um, and they are swamped with rain. It's raining every day. They're damp. Um, they're having an enormous amount of sex. They're drinking wine basically all day. Um, and they are writing ghost stories. Um, and Mary Shelley has this idea for Frankenstein. Um, and the writing in that opening section is certainly the best writing I've ever read about sex. I was having dreams of being Mary Shelley. <laughs> um, and she kind of wanders around naked and goes out into the rain naked. Um, and she sees this figure on the hill. And she thinks, that's a, that's a monster on the hill. And she begins to create this idea. So already, I was completely blown away. And I thought, I'm ready to live in this place that she is writing. Um, and then there's a very sudden turn, which I think doesn't always work in books, but which she really pulls off, where we are suddenly in um, a sort of present day um, and we are at an AI conference um, and we are following um, a trans character um, called Rai um, and there are sex dolls. Um, there's a lot of sex in that bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and something really wonderful happens which you slowly begin to realise is that the characters who are in um, Frankenstein and in that Mary Shelley section are then mirrored in the AI section. Um so you kind of walk into the book and it's like a hall of mirrors. Everything is reflected back at you, not once, but sometimes twice. Um, and it all sounds very clever and very intelligent. I'm sure a lot of people are thinking my mind already hurts. It's also incredibly funny. It's incredibly wry. Um, it often feels like Jeanette Winston is sat across the table from you making her, these comments about her characters and making these comments about the world. Um, and I loved what Kieran said about reading a novel that feels very prescient and I think this one feels that way in a number of different ways firstly just a discussion a bit about AI which I think an enormous amount of writers are thinking about at the moment you know Ian McEwan's new one um but this does it in such an interesting way and also such an emotional way I think you know I think it's very easy to think logically about these things um but all of the characters in this book are thinking very emotionally about it um and I don't want to give too much away but it's amazing <laughs> Whoa! Hey. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing. You like two seconds left. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. Gosh, two amazing pitches. Two amazing. Yeah. High five, you two. Um, See, so you're so friends. So it's like, yeah, you know, we're not really, not really in competition. Oh, you think you are competitive? Oh, you are competitive friends. <laughs> there, I was thinking, you guys are really like, I don't mind. I don't mind. I do love this book, um, though. Yeah. So. Well, that's good. That's a good start. Let's just uh, talk about these two books a bit more, if I may. That the, the Hearing Trumpet, yeah. Kieran. Wow. Uh, 144 pages is like. Uh, 
heaven to me, you know, the thought of just tucking into something so rich that you've described, and it's 144 pages, just makes me want to nick it off you right now so I can yeah. read it later. Uh, wow, your face really changed <laughs> then when I said that. I need it. I'll send you one. <laughs> oh, no, I will buy one. I will buy one. Because um, I love a short novel, like you said. I love I love one too. Um, and then you've got this, just these amazing points, 92-year-old protagonist, already a, a something we don't get that often the fact that it turns into a sort of Alice in Wonderland adventure but you know it's got climate change elements it's it's sort of strange and wonderful uh, and it's funny I mean this is just this sounds like it couldn't possibly be in 144 pages but it is it's also a story within a story mm. and then you keep going you're like oh there's another story within a story and I love that I love like you were talking about nesting dolls I love that yeah. and that the sort of it's like she's she's sort of making layers in a cake and it's all just coalescing into this and it works and it shouldn't work but it works and it's almost too much but it never gets too much it's sort of always leavened by this by this lightness of touch and yeah. and you get the feeling she doesn't t- she takes her characters Carrington takes her character seriously but mm. she doesn't take herself <laughs> too seriously she's always laughing She's laughing with them, not at them. And and it was just so refreshing to read. I read this about five years ago for the first time and it was just so refreshing to read a character that I'd never read before, yeah. ever. And, um, and, yeah. When was it published, just out of interest? I, oh, I don't know, um, I, as I don't know the book, I'm on, so I don't know when it was... Uh, it was in the... Oh, it was written in the early 1960s and I think originally published in France okay. and published, in, published here like... Um, quite a while after, but this But it's a 60s edition, book, essentially. It's a 60s right. book, yes. And she was living in Mexico, New Mexico, when okay. she was writing it. She was an aristocrat who sort of ran away to Mexico to be with the Surrealists. And, you know, she hung out with Frida Kahlo and Diego Riviera. <laughs> oh, She's wow. just so cool. <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> she actually is. <laughs> she sounds amazing. And it, I really like that there are parallels between both books that you've pitched, the Russian yes. doll things we've said, the stories yeah. in the story, and you learn more as you read, uh, and also the fact that they're both funny. Um, so to, to Frank... To Frankenstein, if I could, Daisy, just first of all, rereading is such a sort of privilege, isn't it? Because, like you say, I, I read a stat, and I, don't, I, I, I sort of don't want to tell you it, but I read a stat that was like, if no other book ever got published in the world ever again, we still wouldn't be able to read all the things we wanted to yeah. before we die. <laughs> so it's precious, you know? The, each book, each reading is precious. So to, to say you're going to reread it for a third time is quite an accolade um and the fact that you're a, a winston fan but you're saying this is this is her best book is is obviously that makes me think okay um <laughs> the best writing about sex that you think you've ever read oh my God. And i just kept writing sex down i mean i've just written it down about <laughs> three times what did you expect when you invited daisy johnson and of course now i'm really i'm really interested now um but this this what i'm interested in also is the the present day thing, the fact that she does do a sudden turn, which, mm. as you said, can be a car crash sometimes, yeah, um, and mirroring it, you know. Um, so why, yeah, why, why do you think we, we as consumers of literature and also writers, are starting to really look at AI now? Why now suddenly? Is it because we're just all our lives are being run by them a little bit more? Yeah, and I think we're just talking about them more and more and worrying about them. You know, there was the sex doll um, documentary, wasn't there, a while ago, which I think mm. was on, on The Guardian. Um, I think it's an anxiety which was which pushed to the side by a lot of other things um, and has now sort of risen up. Um, and I do think that sometimes writers are reflections of the things that we're really, really worrying about. Um, and I think that is what this book does. Um, 
and she, you know and she's also talking about um trans rights a lot so there's yeah. a transgender character in there um who goes through quite a lot of abuse and is in a relationship which isn't necessarily a particularly healthy relationship um and it is really relevant and but not i, I i'm very into books which you know, are relevant, but don't bash you over the head with it. It's yeah. not just mm-hmm. a book to let's let's talk about trans rights now. It's a it's a love story. It says on the front. Um, you know, it's a book that totally sweeps you along. Yeah, and which I think the Leonora Carrington one sounds like it does as well. You know, you want to lose your footing a little bit and feel yeah. like you're being sort of like swept towards the ending. Mm. Um, yeah. And just the idea that she sat across the table sort of telling you all this. is It was a lovely image. Yeah. I love the wry sort of side notes. Yeah. Like, it's the most profound thing Claire has ever said. Yeah. It's really, it's so funny. So you love this book as well, I Karen, adored yeah. And yeah. I read Daisy Lent Me Her Proof. I was the second person on to read the proof. <laughs> it's I was a big so competition. My mum was very Ooh, oh, really? yes. oh, You won. I mean, you won. I was there, literally yeah. waiting. But I just, and, and I've reread it already. Mm. And it's just... A spectacular and I'm uh, Jeanette Winston lighthouse keeping will forever have my heart and I think mm. sex and that's better but whatever oh. um, but, but I think there's just something about how confidently yeah. she tells love yeah. and she tells desire mm. and she she managed to get to the humanity of every intelligent point she mm. makes I think there's something so unique yeah. in her talent for that I yeah. just I, yeah mm. yeah I think it's such an instinctual book I think you know she needs you to know something and she, and she does it and it's not clunky it's it's kind of beautiful the way that she does it um, yeah. she like leads you by the hand yeah. she doesn't tug you she's no. just like come on yeah she's like okay. we're going yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want to go anywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we're talking I've actually just thought of a, a sort of spin-off podcast called Battle of the Sexes where guests just choose the best sex writing there yes I'm ready and you two are the first guests Yay! of the Battle of the Sexes podcast just making it out there keeping best bank is fine let's go oh winter Winterson versus Winterson. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, nice. Anyway, I love how people yeah, well. are talking about it at the moment, like how to write good sex. Yeah. And I asked Jeanette Winston about it, and she said she doesn't think that people actually think about their having sex. They write it like performatively rather yeah. than thinking inside the body of their characters. Uh, and I think that's why her sex is so good because it's you feel desire like driven, the, not yeah. anatomically driven. Yeah. It's like from inside. Yeah, it's not like what do boobs look like? And yeah. then some awful description of boobs. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, there's lots, lots to think about here. Um, <laughs> Well, look, I I loved both of those. As as is every time we do one of these, I'm like, I could pick both of them. I want to take both of them home. Um, and I've read Frankenstein, and I haven't read uh, The Hearing Trumpet. That doesn't mean anything. It's just I'm, I definitely want to mm. go and Me too. read this book now, Kieran. And now that you've both said that, well, you've reread it, and you're going to reread it. I, I feel like I should reread Frankenstein I because yeah. I might get something else out of it. By the sounds of it, yeah, definitely. I gasped halfway through my second. Reading and something like click clicked. hadn't clicked in the yeah. first place. And oh, I didn't wow. need to click, but there was like a second clicking. <laughs> you okay. see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially in the AI sections, because I love yeah. the Mary Shelley section so much. I was kind of yeah, skimming yeah. almost mm. the AI ones. But, oh, uh... yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second. Kira. Do you think that anyone who's not read Frankenstein will be able to read this book with as much enjoyment? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Although, so I've given it to a lot of friends and there's one friend who really doesn't like it and it's it's made for her and she doesn't like it. And so I do, not everyone's going to like it, And but I think that's a selling point. I don't want to read a book that everyone likes, you know, that's yeah. like a middle of the, middle yeah, of the yeah. road, grey kind of book that will like get you and you and you. I want to read a book where you're either like, this is the best book I've ever read or I hate this book, why have you given it to me? Yeah. It's for anybody but not everybody. Yeah. 
that's what Mark Oh, I like that. Says yes, I like that. Painting. And I think that hearing trumpet yeah, sounds the same. Yeah, absolutely the same. I, some people will hate it, but you just go with it and it's just <laughs> blissful. Yeah. <It's> <laughs> um, so I've got, to, I've got to choose one to take home because that's the game, isn't it? Um, and based on the pictures, which were both fabulous... Um, I think I'm going to take the hearing trumpet for the (laughs) fact that it's lesser known. Mm. uh, I would, I would say, I would argue. Um, Jeanette is obviously still writing and still writing amazingly, and I think a lot of people have heard of this book anyway, and definitely should go out and read it if they haven't. Uh, But the hearing trumpet, I think, maybe just for the sheer fact Mm. that it's batshit bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. and, you know, it's got that slightly 60s thing and she sounds like a brilliant character. I think I'm going to take that one home. You will and I'm it. not going to nick your copy. I <laughs> no. promise I would never... Based on the face you pulled, now. I wouldn't dare even it, challenge you. Honestly, oh, no, no, you no, no, bully no. into it. <laughs> no, that was, that was subtle over here, wasn't it, me? Just chipping away. Oh, don't worry. No, Karen, I'm going to go and buy one. And okay. I wouldn't take your third copy. Yeah, my third. I no, I wouldn't don't do know that. Who to has you. the other two? <laughs> I don't know. Quick, a little tip that uh, a friend Chloe told me once is: if ever you lend a book out, take a photo of them with it. Uh, yeah, it's like a mug. And then you can look yeah, back, yeah. and that's what I do now. If ever yeah. I lend, if ever I lend a book that I really, that you know is a special copy or something mm. or one I want back, I just go. Excuse me, before you go. Yeah. There, like, there you go. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way you. I won't know that you've got it now. <laughs> um, thank you so much both for for joining me for taking part in the book off and um, best of luck with the rest of the judging that you're doing thank and you. best of luck with the Deathless Girls. Thank you. Uh, you're going to be taking that out for events, I imagine. Yes, so. I'm doing yeah. loads of events from Henley to Deccon in Ireland. So all the details are on my website. Fantastic. <laughs> Plug. Um, and, <laughs> and we we look forward to finding out a bit more about this adult mm, book. Yes. Uh, and all the sex that's going to oh, be in it. Oh, sex in it. Very good sex. Yeah, Great good sex. sex. Oh, good. Some bad sex as well, as in like not bad yeah. written, but like yeah, I don't have sex. that sex. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we look forward to it. Uh, and Daisy, obviously you'll be judging uh, the National Short Story Award and then... Back to writing, is it? Back to concentrating on this novel? Book four is um, kicking my butt. Um, And (laughs) um, book three, uh, Sisters, is out next year. Fantastic. Do we know when yet? Uh, June 4th. I think I'm allowed to say that. Thank you, Jonathan Cape. (laughs) We've said it. We've said it now. (laughs) It's a little, you know, I mean, we're not giving anything away. June, June. Put it in your diary. Pre order. Pre order. Plug. Pre order the pre order. Yeah. (laughs) Plug. Um, (laughs) Everything Under by Daisy Johnson is out now in paperback, and The Deathless Girls by Kieran Millwood Hargrave is out now, too, published by Hachette as part of the Bellatrix series. Both absolutely fantastic, as is Fen, the short story collection. If you you, uh, haven't read that, ladies and gentlemen, then get yourself a coffee because it's fabulous. Uh, And look out, of course, for the winners of the National Short Story Award and the Young Writers Award, which uh, probably have been announced or will be very soon. Daisy, Kieran, thank you both. Thank Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 